Well, church family, this is it. This is the last message on the book of Matthew. We've come to the end. And I hope for you it's been bittersweet. I hope that there is a bit of sadness knowing that we're departing from the book of Matthew. But at the same time, I hope you're excited. You're excited for the next book that we're going to venture in. It's already being planned. It's already in the works. But you'll have to come back (laughs) to find out where we're going. All throughout the book of Matthew, he's really been writing to us to teach us two main truths. The first one is that Jesus is the Christ. That he's the Messiah, the anointed one. That Jesus is the King of Kings. This should be a lesson that we take away, church family. Jesus is who he claims to be. And that's good news for us today. And all throughout the book of Matthew, we've seen the importance of seeing Jesus for who he is. When we see Jesus for who he is, he saves us. He, rise, he raises us into a new life. He gives us eternal life. And what we'll see today is he gives us a mission, which is the second truth that we've been learning about throughout the book of Matthew. And it's that the kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of heaven has come. And Jesus has ushered it in. These truths are important because Matthew is concluding the book today. And he's focusing on these two truths. To now commission his disciples, his church, to be proclaimers of this truth. Today, today, as we conclude the book, we want to see that a biblical understanding of the identity of Jesus and his authority impels, it, it puts into motion the church to make disciples of all nations. A biblical understanding of the identity of Jesus and his authority impels the church to make disciples of all nations. So let's begin this morning looking at verses 16 and 17. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him But some doubted. As we come to the end of the gospel in verse 16, we see that the 11 arrived to meet Jesus in Galilee. You know, sometimes we overlook the simple details of the scene that's happening. We we move really quickly to the dialogue and to the acts. But in this verse, in in these two simple verses, there are aspects of God's character that we don't want to miss. 
This verse is significant because it's where Jesus promised his disciples that he would meet him after his death and resurrection. We see this in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus told them that he would meet them in Galilee. This is a reminder of the character of Jesus. Our God can be trusted. His word can be trusted. His promises can be trusted. All that we have learned from the book of Matthew can be trusted. And this is important for us today. Because as we conclude, as we see these truths about who Jesus is, they've been built on subsequent truths that we've been seeing all throughout the gospel. And the reaction to seeing Jesus in this verse is important because it reinforces the main truth of Matthew. That the true identity of Jesus. Matthew has shown us all throughout the gospel that Jesus truly is the Christ. That he is God incarnate. That he's the risen Savior that came to seek and save the lost And this is why Jesus is worthy of our worship and why the disciples come and greet Jesus in this manner. And notice, Jesus accepts their worship. Why? Because he is God. And only God is deserving of worship. If you noticed throughout the Bible, there are many times where people come and worship other beings. We see it in the Old Testament when they come and they worship the angels of the Lord. And and the angels always respond how? No, 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 don't worship me. We see it in the New Testament when Paul arrives and he's, he's preaching in different towns. And they come and they bow down and worship. And he says, no, no, don't come and worship me. I am man just like you. But Jesus accepts the worship because he's deserving of the worship because he's God. But this begs each one of us to ask a question this morning. Did we participate in the corporate worship of God this morning? Did you participate in the worship of God this morning? Did you sing praises to our God? Did you offer prayers of praise to him? What was the motivation behind your heart for that? Was it because there's a simple understanding that he is God and we are not? Was it the idea that God is God at all times and this is an objective truth that is constant, that never wavers? Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of how we feel, Regardless of what our culture says, God is always God. And he is always deserving of our worship. The gospel of Matthew has revealed to us, church, the glory of Jesus. He was not a common prophet. He was not just a rabbi. No, he he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. But, also, and, but Matthew also tells us, if you look at this verse, that there are some who doubted. There's an important clarification to make here. It's easy to read this and to assume 
that both are in reference to the 11. But the, the Greek actually makes it more probable that, that present with the 11 are other disciples of Jesus. And that among the whole of them, some worshipped and some doubted. We don't know specifically what they doubted, but we could, we could assume. You know, maybe, maybe they were still doubtful of Jesus' plans. Maybe they still thought that a, that a military coup was a, a better option for establishing the kingdom. Maybe they were doubtful because, because Jesus said the kingdom was coming and, and Jesus is about to get ready to leave. Maybe they were troubled believing the plans would come into fruition without Jesus present. However, we see more aspects of God's character in this passage. Notice what Jesus does not do. Jesus does not shun these disciples away. He does not send them off. He does not reject them. He doesn't list reasons for why they should believe or provide further evidence. No, what he's going to do is comfort them. He's going to provide all of them. He's going to provide all of them, those, those whose hearts are full of faith and those who need it with words of encouragement. So if you're here today, if you find yourself in a season of doubt, if you find yourself today in a season where your faith has waned, I want you to hear that our God continually welcomes you. Hear that, church family. Our God continually welcomes you. And I want you to hear that you can trust the words of Jesus. This morning, if you're here today, if you say, that's me today, I want you to draw near to Christ with your doubts. And I want you to hear the following words he provides his disciples. And I want you to rest in the identity of Jesus. The idea that he is God. The idea he's the Christ. If we're going to, if we're going to be a people that is active in the advancement of the kingdom, we have to truly believe the claims of Jesus. But we also have to understand and submit to the authority of Jesus. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus reveals more of his identity in this verse. He demonstrates that he's the king of kings and that he's the sovereign ruler who reigns over all heaven and over all of earth. Matthew tells us at the beginning of, at the very beginning that Jesus had come from the line of David. That Jesus was the rightful heir of the throne of David and the one promised to sit on it forever. 
Do you remember back in Matthew, at the very beginning when Jesus is born? The wise men come, and what, and what do they do? They, they offer him gifts. Gifts that were fitting of a king. Gifts that demonstrated the kingship of Jesus. At the very beginning of his ministry, in chapter 3, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God had arrived. The kingdom that he himself was ushering in. A few weeks ago, we saw the Romans and the Jews ironically mocking Jesus. Do you remember this? Saying that he was the king of the Jews. See, all throughout the, the gospel, Matthew's been teaching us, showing us who he is. And one important point is he's the king. He's a sovereign ruler. He reigns over all things. But there's another truth that Matthew's been showing us throughout the gospel. And that's the power and the scope of Jesus' authority that comes with his rule. We've seen Jesus' authority over creation and all within the created order. We've seen his authority over sickness and over, and over disease. We've seen his authority over the spiritual world, over its principalities. We've seen his power and his authority over with, the, with his power to forgive sins. We've seen him demonstrate his power and his authority over life and over death. Everything that has ever existed and all that would seem to exert its own, its own control is subjected to the authority of Jesus. As one theologian put it, there are no wayward autumns atoms in the cosmos. Every single one is controlled by its creator. And Jesus says in this verse that this authority was given to him. This phrase in the Greek is in the divine passive, meaning that, that God is the one acting and giving this authority. That's important because it should allude us to Daniel chapter 7. Look at what Daniel chapter 7 verse 14 reads. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass. And his kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. Do you notice in Daniel, all that has been given to the Son, all that's been given to Jesus, he's been given dominion, he's been given glory, he's been given a kingdom, he's been given a people within that kingdom. All of this is Christ's. Church, this, this is the God that we serve this is, this is the King Jesus that we came to worship today. The King who rules, who sits enthroned over all things. I wonder, I wonder if, if Jesus is the King over your life. I wonder if you are submitted 
under the authority of Jesus today. You know, we have the danger of compartmentalizing our lives. Isn't it true? We think, these are my things, and these are the things that I'll give to Jesus and, and, to, and to his people. And the other stuff, though, this, that's, this stuff is all, is all mine. This is the stuff I'm going to be in control of. But, you know, this type of thinking misses the bigger picture. The premise of this thinking is the wrong starting point. Because everything and all is under the rule and reign of Christ. And we are just stewards. Everything that you possess, you're just stewarding it. The time that we have in this life, we're just stewards. The families that we've been given, stewards. The money in our accounts, stewards. The resources we have accumulated as a church for the gospel, we're simple stewards of it. This is not an easy truth. This is by far an easy truth to live by. But this is why Jesus says, only those who are willing to die to themselves can be his disciple. Only those who are willing to submit their lives, their desires, their wants, can be a disciple. Because you cannot serve two masters. And what Matthew has been teaching us all throughout his book is that Jesus is the king. And he is the only master worthy to be served. I wonder if we're, if we're a church that's under the submission of Jesus. I wonder if as, if as a church we're willing to die to ourselves for the glory of Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. I wonder if as, as a church we're willing to make sacrifices. We're, we're able and willing to put away what we desire for the greater body, for the glory of God. As one of your pastors, I can tell you this is the type of church that we pray we are like and that we continue to become. A church marked by continuous evidence that Jesus is the great shepherd of this church, that he's the head of this body, and that he's, this, that he's the glorious king of this people. Why? Because church... For us to accomplish the mission, we have to have a biblical understanding of his identity. We have to have a rightful understanding of his authority so that it leads us to obey his commands. Look at the command of Christ in this, in this chapter, verses 19 and 20. 
Jesus says, now all of that has been covered. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's important that we, com- that we keep the previous verses in mind as we consider this verse. Because it's the identity and the authority of Jesus that leads us to obey. It's his identity and his authority that gives us confidence as we consider the scope of this command. Can you imagine being one of the doubters? Thinking all about what Jesus has been teaching and instructing in Matthew and wondering, how are we going to get this done? How are we going to accomplish what Jesus is asking of us? But in the previous verses, Jesus is telling them the kingdom work needs to be rightly situated on his identity and his authority. So as we, as we keep this in mind, let's consider the command. You know, there's only one imperative in this section. And that's the imperative and the commandment to make disciples. As a church, we are charged to make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Someone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Someone who has confessed Jesus to be Lord and has received the forgiveness of his sins through the finished work of Christ on the cross and on his resurrection. This is what a disciple is. Someone who follows Jesus. We are to take the gospel and go and make disciples. We are to go and make Christ followers. Now while the make disciples is the only commandment, the go in the original language is a participle. A better translation would be going and make disciples. But there are two really implications about the way that that word is structured. The first is there's a a passive implication, meaning there's an aspect of making disciples that happens as we go. Or as we go through the normal rhythms of life. For instance, maybe you found yourself walking into a coffee shop to get your morning pick-me-up. And there you strike a conversation you weren't planning to have. And the Lord gives you an opportunity to share the gospel, and so you do. In this instance, you were sharing the gospel as you were going as you went about your way. But the second implication is is active. And I think this is a more appropriate in the structure of the sentence. This means that the participle going receives the imperative force of the command to make disciples. The implication is as disciples of Jesus, there's an imperative force that should drive us in our going. There's a level of going for the disciples of Jesus that is a necessity, that is planned, that is intentional. 
a common question that arises as we read the book of Matthew, one that I've, that I've come to over and over and over again in my own life, is how am I active in the advancement of the kingdom of God? How, am, how are we active in the advancement of the kingdom? Maybe, maybe you're not active in this moment. Maybe you, you're not participating in the advancement of the kingdom. I, I want to give, give you a quick starter guide, just some intentional ways that you can be active. The first one, be active by persistently praying for the lost. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. Pray for the lost mentioned in your small groups and in conversation. Why? Because remember, this work begins because Christ has authority. So we labor in prayer for the lost, seeking the authority of Christ to work. Secondly, whether you're currently active or not, Plan evangelism in your schedule. You plan, we plan everything else. We plan when to watch movies. We plan when we're going to see friends. We plan when we're going to watch sports. We plan when we go to work. Everything is planned. Plan your evangelism. What, what do I mean by this? Plan events or gatherings purposefully that are going to put you in the vicinity of the lost. Consider when the, when the city of Irving hosts an event, plan to attend with the intention of meeting your neighbors for gospel conversations. Consider creating routines that put you in the same place every week for the purpose of meeting the same people to speak the same gospel truths to them. Thirdly, Involve others. This model, this was a model that Jesus gave us. In Matthew, he sent his disciples in two. This was the model that the apostles replicated in the book of Acts. Paul is with Barnabas. Then you see him with Timothy. Think, which brother or sister, which family can I invite to join me? Go to the local parks together. Go walk around the lakes together. Have a dinner, a cookout with your neighbors and invite some church members to it. The goal again is that we would be active in the advancement of the kingdom by making disciples. But notice in verse 19, Jesus also tells us who we must tell. Go and make disciples of, of all nations. We're to go and, and tell all nations. One of the beauties of the city of Irving is that they're all around. They're all around here. I'm still learning the city, but I know where the Hispanic section is. I know where the Indian section is. I know there's a small African section here. The nations are around and he's put us here as a church of First Irving 
not to just reach the people who speak our language. That's not what he says here. So what happens? We've got to adjust. We've got to learn. We've got to pray. We've got to labor. Notice there's two things that characterize the disciple of Christ. The first characterization of a disciple is that they're baptized. We've already seen in the book of Matthew, Jesus exemplifying this. Paul tells us in Romans 6 that our baptism is an expression that we too, as disciples of Jesus Christ, have been buried into his death. So in the same way, we might be raised from death to walk in the newness of life. Baptism becomes our public confession to the gathered church that Jesus is who he claims to be. That we believe in his death and his resurrection. This is why the disciples of Jesus get baptized. If you've never been baptized and you profess to be a disciple of Jesus, I pray that you would see this first this morning. Consider what might, what might need to be your next step of obedience today. Come and speak to me or one of our pastors about the importance of baptism in your life for its public confession. But there's another characterization. Notice, not only are we supposed to go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, but verse 20 tells us that we ought to teach them. Second characterization is that the disciple is that they're taught all of us here are disciples of Jesus. If you believe in Christ, we're all disciples, but we're also all far from being perfect. There's so much that we, we must learn and continue to grow to know what, it must, what it's like to, 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 come, to be conformed into the image of Christ. Notice that Jesus says that we should teach them to obey all that he's commanded. This is important because Jesus is giving his disciples a massive, massive mission. And what does he give them to accomplish it? Do you see it? He doesn't leave them with political power. He doesn't leave them with an army. He doesn't leave them with a marketing strategy. What does he leave them with? His word. That's it, church. He leaves his disciples with his word. He says to teach them all that I have commanded you. How do we make disciples? It's through the power of his authoritative word. How do we grow and how do we grow these other disciples? It's through the power of Jesus' authoritative word. I want to provide you with some quick reminders of why we obey the words of Jesus. Notice that Jesus isn't calling his disciples to just a theoretical knowledge of his commands. He's not just saying you need to know these things. No, no, no. He's actually wanting us to obey them. So the call to love our neighbors or to pray for our enemies isn't just a 
tidbit of information that we need to know. But it's one that needs to be practiced. Secondly, there's, there's not a timestamp on his commands. They don't ever cease to become unimportant. This means that when, a, when our culture shifts and it changes and the circumstances of our lives change as seasons come and seasons go, there's still an expectation that the disciples of Jesus will keep the commandments until the very end of the age. There's another reminder here that the commandments of Jesus are also not burdensome. All that Jesus has commanded is good. Not one of his commandments are burdensome. It's not burdensome to not neglect the gathering of God's people. It's not burdensome to serve one another or to love one another or to pray for one another. It's not burdensome to go and make disciples. Have you, have you noticed the progression of discipleship in this? First, there's a, a conversion of a disciple. There's someone who's, who's, who's turned into a disciple of Jesus. There's a profession that's made through the practice of baptism. And then there's a continual learning and teaching of the commands of Jesus. Do you see that? Church family, this is a long process. It's one that we should be active and participating in until the Lord calls us home. Who is Jesus calling to make disciples? All that claim to be his disciples. It doesn't matter how old you are. We're never too young. And we don't retire out of this. It doesn't matter your profession or your education. We have the examples of the disciples for this. It doesn't even matter how long you've been a disciple. If you know enough to be a disciple you know enough to begin to make them. But as we end, as D.A. Carson says, commentating on this next section, the gospel does not end with a command, but with a promise. The book of Matthew does not end with a command. It ends with a promise. Look at how this book ends. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. In this one sentence, Jesus reminds his disciples, those that were worshiping and those that are doubting, that he will be with them. He will be with us, church. In the prologue, Matthew introduced us to Jesus, Emmanuel. God with us. And at the end of the gospel, Jesus reiterates that he is God with us, church. He, does, he will not leave us, nor will he abandon us. 
The expression of this adverb is found in no other place in the New Testament. Always. No other place. It implies the whole of every day. There is not a time of day that the Lord is not with his people. In your most difficult of circumstances, he is with you. In your most joyous of circumstances, he is with you. When you don't feel him, he is with you. And as we go and make disciples, he is with us. And we go in the power of his spirit. How do we apply this text? Very quickly. What would it look like for the church of First Irving to make disciples? You know, that's why we gather as an assembled church to make disciples both locally and globally for the glory of God today. So can I challenge us today? What if everybody gathered here today? What if the church gathered, committed to praying for the lost and committed to sharing the gospel with at least one person, we'll, we'll set the bar just as, as low as we can, just one person a month using the authoritative word of God and the power of the spirit. What if we just shared the gospel once a month? Do you know that if 400 of us did that, that would be close to 5,000 gospel conversations. 5,000 gospel conversations and interactions. Can I challenge us to do that? Will you challenge yourself? Will you say, Lord, this is out of my comfort zone, but I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die to myself. I'm willing to trust your words. I'm willing to go. I'm constantly praying that the Lord would stir the baptism waters of our church. Because that would mean that we're a disciple-making people. I think, church, if we properly know who Jesus is and we submit to his authority and we obey his commandments. I think that we could become and continue to be a disciple-making church. How do we respond this morning? First, if you're, maybe you're here this morning, you're visiting and you're not a disciple of Jesus, you've never chosen to follow Jesus today. Today, I hope you've heard that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. That he's the one who's come to save you from your sins. The Bible says that the wages of our sins is death. And Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins. And then he rose again three days later. This is how you become a disciple. It's what we read this morning. You believe in your heart. And you confess him as Lord. You too can be saved. Maybe that's your response this morning. I would encourage you as we sing, there'll be pastors here in the front. Just come and say, hey, 
I, I want to be a disciple. I, I want to hear more about this gospel. I want to, be, I want to hear more about this king. Secondly, maybe, maybe you're a disciple, but you've never been baptized. Would you come and, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about the importance of baptism in the life of a disciple of Jesus. And for the rest of us, how do we respond? Church family, let's go with the gospel today. Let us go readied with the gospel on our lips. It's not a question of if God is calling and leading us, but where is he calling and leading us to make disciples? Let's go with the gospel today.